Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. So today, I hope you can lean in a little bit to what we're going to speak about today because the topic I have for you today is called A Father's Son. So, a father's son. Some of you are probably thinking, that's a weird title because a father has to have a son in order to be a father, right? But we'll get to the meaning. But really what we're talking about today is what it means to be a real son of our Heavenly Father. What it means to be a real son of our Heavenly Father. So, even though I'm going to be speaking directly to men, women, you're included in this as well because you know that it doesn't just take a father to raise a child. It takes a mother and a father to raise a good child. So don't feel left out, even though we're kind of leaning a little bit into the fathers this morning. But here's something interesting. In today's culture, men have been really getting a bad rap, right? In media, it's about down with the patriarchy. We've had enough of men. It's women's turn. You see this in our media. It's not a surprise. And to be honest, the role of men is getting severely diminished. Culture works to say that men are not needed anymore, they're not necessary anymore, it's not even desired anymore, it's something to be looked down upon, it's not something we need to uphold. And culture really has a big influence on the way that we raise children, the way that we grow up our children in a future environment. Because the reality is that even though we might be in a building like this where we gather on Sunday for about an hour and a half, most of our time, most of our time, children's time is spent out in culture. And so to be, it would be foolish to assume that culture does not have an influence on the way that we think or the way that our children begin to grow up. Men, it seems, have had their day, and so we want to celebrate everyone else. We want to celebrate women, we want to celebrate kids, we want to celebrate other things, but men, you've had your time, it's, you need to step aside. But today, I want us to look with good eyes, with scriptural eyes, with the way that God looks at us. And more importantly, I want us to understand what Scripture teaches and how we can and should celebrate everyone because every single person is unique in the eyes of God. Every single person has been made in God's image, whether they're a man or a woman. And so we don't have to push someone down to celebrate someone else. We don't have to diminish men to celebrate women. We don't have to put men on the back burner to celebrate anyone else. The point of it is that we need to celebrate everyone because every single one of us is worth something amazing. God thinks so. I think so. The church thinks so. So we celebrate all of you. But today, men, I want to speak a little bit directly to you because you bear the mantle of what God does in this world. When he looks at a family, God looks at the man, not as someone better, but a different role that he has been given by God. He is responsible for the care and protection of his family. He is to provide and take care of and lead by example. And we are to be 
honorable men, men of honor, men that represent who God is. But the reality of the world that we live in is that men have, in fact, let families down. You know people, you know men, you know family members that men have abandoned, abandoned their families. Many have left their God-given mantle and role of a father and gone off and done something else. Children have been raised in fatherless homes and children have been abandoned by their father. Marriages have been broken down, homes have been destroyed, lives have been ruined by choices of some men. And this is not what you as a man were designed for. You were made to reflect His image. You were made to reflect God's image, the image of our Heavenly Father. So, No matter where you are in life, no matter what you've been through, no matter ups and downs that you've had, maybe you've gone through difficult seasons and difficult choices and made some choices in your past that you regret right now, but it's never too late. You've never gone so far that you can't come back because God has an interest in you. God still cares about you. And when you choose, whatever it is, no matter if you're a teenager, if you're a young man, or even an old man, if you choose today to follow what God says about you, you'll make a significant impact, not just in your life, but in the lives of the people around you. Your family will be glad. Your wife will be glad. Your kids will be glad. Your girlfriend will be glad. No matter how old you are, if you choose to follow what God says about you. The world will be a vastly different place. So, question for you. What kind of man do you want to become? Or what kind of man do you want to be? Doesn't matter how old you are, as I said, even as a teenager, you can make that decision to be the person that God desires for you to be. And I'm not trying to add extra pressure to your life and force you to be something that you don't want to be. I want you to give give you the freedom to be what God designed you to be. And that is to be great, to be honest, to be loving, to be gentle, to be strong, to be sensitive, and to be committed to what God has placed in your life. In essence, you are to be like Him. Because you... Take on God's character. That is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to take on the character of God. What is God like? Many times as Christ followers, we've never had good role models. Even if you've grown up in the church, you might not have had the greatest role model. You might have had fathers who were one way in front of people and a different way when you got home. Maybe you grew up outside of the church environment and you didn't have a father figure in your life, someone to look up to, someone as a good role model. And the problem with our culture, especially for us Christ followers, when we try to communicate who God is to people that have never known him or never met him, most times we tell them God is our father. And the problem with that is that people who've had absent fathers, 
who have bad fathers, who have abusive fathers, don't want any part of that. But that's how God wants us to relate to him. He wants us to relate to him as heavenly father. But when you look at through it through the eyes of your experience, when you look through the eyes of what you've gone through in your life, your father was not there for you. Your father was uncaring. Your father was abusive. Your father was not the person that you look up to. In fact, you wanted to get out of the house as fast as possible because you didn't have a loving father or a caring father. And so when we present this image of a heavenly father, most people go, you know what? I've had experience with fathers. I don't want any part of that. No, thank you. I'm walking away. Because if that wa that's what a father is, I don't want to know your father. Because in my experience, this is what a father is. Absent, uncaring, unfeeling, unloving, abusive. So many times, we try to communicate God's love, and it falls on flat ears. Because it's based on people's perspective of their relationship with their fathers. And so men, I'm encouraging you for this generation, for the future generations, to begin to reflect what God says about you. And not what the world or the culture says about you. Our Heavenly Father has always been a loving, caring protector. And oftentimes, we have failed to accurately portray him in our lives and in our character. But we profess to be followers of this amazing God. When Jesus walked this world, he wanted to convey who Jesus was, who God was. And when God wanted to convey his message of a loving father, he spoke to a people who he called his own, and said, this is who I am to you. I want you to go around and tell all the other communities, all the other people around you, who I am. But that message got warped into so many different ways. And when you look into the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, they often looked at God in a very different way. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, he wanted to communicate who God really was. How he was a heavenly father that loved, cared, and was interested in the daily lives of his people. Their view was that God was an austere God. He would sit up there and he would look down and you had to do certain things. You had to perform certain rules. You have to perform certain obligations. You had to keep things in order and live according to all these rules. And then God would love you. That's how you proved to God that you were a faithful follower, that you followed the rules. And so they put all of these different rules in place. They put all these commandments that you had to do and you had to act this way and talk this way and wash this way and live this way. And that's how you did life to please God. And the purveyors, the custodians, the protectors of the system were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were a group of religious people of the day. And they believed that they knew who God was. And they would then communicate this to all the other people. They said, the way you prove yourself to God is you keep all of these rules, that he is a God that's always looking to make sure that you 
are in line. They never saw him as a loving God. They never saw him as a father. And so Jesus comes along and he wants to move their perspective, to move our understanding, to move it from this rule-based system into a system based on a father's love for his children. And that's how he wants us to view him. And we can understand how much he loves us by the way he moves in our life, the way he communicates to us, and we are to relate to him as loving father. So as men of God, as men and people of the faith, that we can model this for the next generation, that they can see God in us and through us, that they will be able to relate through our heavenly father through the way that we teach them, treat them, care for them, that they will actually get an accurate picture of who God really is, because I am supposed to be a father's son. You are supposed to be a father's son. You're supposed to represent who God is to a generation that does not even know him. That's what you're called to be, all of us. So when Jesus came along, he would often teach and preach and great crowds would gather because Jesus was such an amazing teacher, such an amazing instructor, gave great insight, wisdom, and he taught with such amazing mastery that people were really captivated and enthralled by what Jesus taught. But when the crowds gathered, so were the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They came along to listen to Jesus, but they didn't come along to listen to the amazing teaching. They came along to criticize, to point, to pick, and to pull down everything that Jesus said. And so often they'd come up with questions that he would ask Jesus, test him, whether to see whether he was actually talking the truth. And so one day, a large crowd gathered to listen to Jesus. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came along. They muttered, complained, and talked under their breath about who Jesus was and what he was doing. Look at him, they said. He says he's a teacher, but no self-respecting teacher would sit with tax collectors and prostitutes and have conversation with them. No self-respecting teacher who calls himself a rabbi would actually sit down and eat with any of these people that are actually unclean. And Jesus responds to them, not in a direct way. He begins to teach. And Luke, who documents this particular instance, tells us that he spoke three parables. He told three stories, three mini-sermons, three mini-sermonettes, little things, called parables. What is a parable? A parable is a story with a deeper meaning. A parable is simply speaking about one thing in a different way by comparing it to something else. So Jesus tells these three parables. And the third one is what we want to focus on today. So he starts with a couple of them. The third parable is often called the prodigal son. You've probably heard it. Sometimes the version says, the lost son. And that's not part of Luke's letter. It's not what he actually wrote. That's the authors, uh, the people who put it together. They give you a little subheading for you to understand the text better. But I think 
that the label is actually a mislabel. I don't think it should be called the lost son or the prodigal son because it's really not about the son. It's really about the father. And that's what Jesus' point was when he, want, he tells this parable. The story is not about the son, even though the sons are reflected in this parable. The story is about the father. Because Jesus wants his audience to understand who our heavenly father is really is. What he's really like. This is who God is, he says. You've got the understanding of who God is, but I'm coming to tell you that you've got it wrong. He's got a different perspective to present to them. He says, this is who your heavenly father is. I want you to see the character of the father in this parable. This is the point where Jesus says, this is who our heavenly father really is. And as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they listen to this parable Jesus begins to unravel this parable. And like every parable, Jesus' point is that we identify ourselves in the story. We identify who we are when he tells this parable. Because like all good stories, we are enthralled by what happens in the story. But we have to identify with one person or a couple of people in the parable. And so Jesus, he's a master teacher. He's a master instructor, master in his illustrator. And he wants his listeners, the Pharisees and those around him, to really pick up and identify with someone in this parable. So he starts this in this way. He says, a man had two sons. They identified. But then Jesus begins to draw them in because he begins to describe the character of one of the sons. And as Jesus begins to tell the, who this son is, the Pharisees were listening to this began to get highly offended by what he said. You might not understand what he's saying, but understand through the eyes of the first century. This is what he says. There were two sons. There was a younger son and an older son. A father, wealthy landowner, had a great property. He had two children that he really wanted to hand over his legacy to, his inheritance to. And so we pick it up at this. He says, the younger son came to the father, and he says, father... Give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate. To that, we won't find it that interesting. But to a first century audience, this was highly offensive. Because the younger son is asking for his inheritance. An inheritance does not come to the children except when the father dies. So in essence, what his son is saying is, Father, you are dead to me. Give me what belongs to me. In fact, according to Jewish culture, the younger son is not even supposed to inherit all of it. He's supposed to inherit a third of it. This is the oldest son that's supposed to get the majority of the share because he was supposed to be the one that will be, take care of the family. And therefore, the younger son, he's not supposed to get a whole portion. He's supposed to get one third. But this arrogant young man comes to his father and says, you are dead to me. Give me my stuff. But then, these Pharisees would have been mad because who, which child 
in their culture would walk up to their father and shame their family to the extent by saying, you are dead to me, father. The father that provides for me, that took care of me, that brought me into this world, that provided everything I have, walks up to me and says, you are dead to me, give me my stuff. This would have been shameful. But what was even more shameful was how the father responded because that got them even more upset. Because the father, this father, he divided the property between them. No father in their culture would do that. The correct response would be, you are a horrible child. I'm going to take you down to the gate and literally stone you to death because that was allowed in the law for a disobedient child. But this father, he doesn't follow the protocol of the day. He doesn't follow what's supposed to be the culture. He doesn't follow what is the right thing to do. He brings shame not only on his family but on himself because he agrees to the request of this arrogant young man. He agrees. No self-resecting father would agree to that at all. It brings shame on them. Give me my inheritance. The father does it. The young man, he takes his money. He leaves his father's house. He goes to a distant land. He spends all of his money. He gathers friends. They spend all of it. And sooner or later, he's broke. To which the Pharisees go, that's exactly right. That's what should happen to him. Because he disrespected his father, he brought shame, and he should have been out there being mistreated. Now he's lost all his money, he got everything he wanted, but he spent it on stupid stuff, and it's gone. And then he's reduced. This young man is reduced now because he has no money. So he has to go to those people that were supposedly his friends and begs them because a great famine came into that land, and there was nothing for him to eat. And so he agrees to go to one person's house and take care of their pigs. Live with the pigs and eat what the pigs ate. Scraps. The Pharisees would have been sitting there and going, that's exactly what he deserved. He embarrassed his father. He, he took away his inheritance. He spent it on things and that's exactly what he deserves. That's what should happen to ungrateful children. They were happy. Why didn't the father do something? Why did he give him his inheritance? See, God punishes horrible children. That's what they believed. But this young man, he's living in shame. He's living in abject poverty. He doesn't have anything good to eat. And he comes to his senses, Jesus tells the story. He comes to his senses and realizes, even the servants in my father's house are living under better conditions and eating better than I'm eating. Maybe if I return to my father's house, go back, beg his forgiveness, tell him that I've messed up, will he let me come back in? Even though I've taken my inheritance, even though I've taken all that I think I deserve and spent it, if I go back, maybe my father will accept me. To which his audience, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're saying, there's no way that you, as a father, as a patriarch, that brings 
supposed to bring honor to your family is going to accept this guy coming back. Doesn't matter how much he begs, doesn't matter how much he pleads, he doesn't deserve to be anywhere close to even the area of your family. He should be cast away, he should be where he should be with the pigs because he's not even a son anymore. He shouldn't be around. So Jesus says, so he got up and went to his father. He went back home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You might not find that offensive, but those listeners of the day, that was the most offensive thing this father could ever do. Not only did he give away his inheritance, not only did he let his son go free, he now does something even more embarrassing, even more shameful. His father saw him coming. And what any good father in that day would do would make sure that this son doesn't come anywhere close to him. But this father did something so embarrassing. He ran to him. Again, cultural understanding. Patriarchs walked. They walked everywhere they went. They would never run. People came to them. They didn't go to people. That would be a shameful thing for him to do. And to run would mean his robes have to be carried up and expose his lower extremities, his knees, which again would be shameful because it's a cultural thing. You don't embarrass yourself. You don't lift up your robe and run. That's something servants do. Servants run to their master. You don't run. Servants run to you. You don't run to your son who is supposed to be cast away. You shouldn't do that. And they were mad. Then, more than that, he threw his arms around him. This son was unclean because he was living in the area of the pigs. He was living with pigs, things that Jewish people would never touch or eat. He lived with them and he ate what they were. No father would come close and touch the son because he was filthy, he was dirty, he was unclean. He came from a land that was unclean. No Jewish person would do that. No Jewish father would do that. No person would run up and hug their son no matter how much they cared because that's not what patriarchs do. He kissed him. Signs of affection. More than what was required. What Jesus is trying to communicate is this is who our Heavenly Father is. Our Father forgives and loves and embraces. He is a loving Father who forgives and embraces us always. It doesn't matter how far you, da- you went. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter who you did it with. It doesn't matter what you did in a life. God will welcome you home, embrace you, and love you, and restore you. It doesn't matter what it was. And so they could not understand this because they didn't see God as their father. And when Jesus came along and he says, God is my father, they got so mad at him, they decided to kill him because he equated God as his father. They were mad. They were offended because that's not who God is. 
But Jesus says, this is exactly who God is. It's a God who loves you. It doesn't matter what you did, how far you went. You were arrogant. You were rude. You were selfish. You did all these things against him, but he's still waiting. He runs to you no matter what you did. He runs for you. He embarrasses himself. He brings shame to himself. He died on a cross to show you how much he loves you because that's what a loving father does. He loves even when it brings him pain. Jesus is trying to show them who God really is. He's a loving father. He goes the distance. He gives respect even when he doesn't get it. He loves even when he's rejected. This is who we are supposed to be like. This is whose image we're supposed to bear. Not just as men, but as people of God, men and women, to our kids, to the next generation, to those that don't know who he is, but only can see it through us. This is who he is. This is what he displays. This is what he wants us to be like. We are to model our Heavenly Father so the next generation, our kids, they can see Him in us and find Him through us. They can see Him in us and find Him through us. We are to be fathers to our sons and daughters. The Father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on Him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. To which the Pharisees would have said, how dare you? Because we would never do that. Because see, they didn't identify with the son. They identified with the father figure and said, this is who we are. We would never do that. We would never stoop to that. We would never bring shame on our family. We would never do that to embarrass our culture, our family, our village. We would never do that. Because what you're doing is you're putting him back in authority. You're giving him the best robe, your robe, your robe that represents who you are. The father, the one that provides. You're putting your robe on him. You're putting your ring on his finger. The ring represented the authority of the father, which means they could see letters with it and do whatever. And you could write a letter and put your seal on it and he's saying, I'm giving it to you like he would give it to me. Giving back authority to this son that treated you so horribly. Put sandals on his feet because only servants didn't wear f- footwear. Take away his shame Take away what he had, nothing, and give him back his position, give him back his his royalty, give him back everything that he took away and took away so lightly. We would never do that. But Jesus said, this is what God is like. He restores you. He clothes you with royalty. He puts you back in position. It doesn't matter where you went or what you did. You are his son. You are his daughter. And no matter how far you strain, he will always welcome you back in and put you back in his position because he loves you and cares about you. This is who God is. You will always be welcome back home. You will always have a home here. This is a picture of God's love. This is who 
our Heavenly Father is that He would clothe us in righteousness when we are not. That He would love us when we are unlovable. That He would bring us into our family even when we didn't have a family. When it comes to who He is, this is who we are supposed to be. We love, we forgive, and we never give up. Because He never gives up. By now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if they were mad before, they are enraged now. Because this is not who we are. But Jesus, as I said, is a master storyteller. And he pivots. He pivots the story. And he brings in the older son. Because all this time, it was about the younger son and the father. But here comes the older son. And the Pharisees go, aha, that's our boy. Because that's who we are. Because this is what happened. The older son became angry. That's the right response. For a father that does not deserve respect and is acting shamefully, that's what a good son does. Get angry at the shameful behavior of his father. And the older son became angry and refused to go in. There was a celebration that this lost kid had come home, that he's being celebrated and honored. But the older son, how dare you? You don't do that. He took his inheritance. All the stuff now belongs to me. You're taking my calf. You're taking my money. You're taking my goods. And you're celebrating this child that offended, brought shame to our family. This is how you should respond. And so the Pharisees go, yes, that is him. That is who we are, the oldest son. Because we stayed in the house. We are faithful. We've kept all the rules. We've done all the duties. That's who we are. And what Jesus is doing in his story, he's extending grace to a people that walked away from him and followed rules. His extension of the story is to tell them who they identified with, this is who you are. I'm not leaving you out in the cold. Even though you follow the rules and you think you honored me by keeping the rules, but you had no relationship with me, I still care about you. Because this is what the father does. The father went out and pleaded with him. Even those that think they're honoring God but don't have a relationship with him, we keep all the rules, we show up all the time, we sit in rows, we look good, we act good, we act like everything is good, but we don't have a relationship in our heart with our Heavenly Father. Even them, God loves. Because He goes out of His way, He goes out to the older son and He says, I'm begging you, son, soften your heart. I'm begging you, open up your heart to love and be loving to one who has been so badly treated. But this son, he doesn't respect his father. This is what he says. But he answered, look, you thought the younger son respected the father? Well, the older son did the exact same thing. He's no better. He doesn't address his father's father. That word look, if you look in the original text, is offensive. You would never address your father as look. 
looketh. So all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I've kept the rules. Yet you never gave me even a young goat I could celebrate with my friends. Look at what he did. Unclean home, shameful behavior, not deserving of respect. And you, Father, you, you welcome this unclean stranger, because he's no son anymore, into our house. You've acted shamefully as a father. You are not deserving of respect. You are worse than him. But a loving father goes out, even to that person that disrespects him, and he begs him, come in, come home, welcome him. Even when he's disrespected, he still loves, he goes out to those who reject him. When he was up on the cross, he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loves even when it's hard to love. He gives when it's hard to give. That's who we are supposed to be. And if you read the whole parable, if you read the story, it's not ending. If you read the other two parables in Luke 15, you'd find that they have a great happy ending. But this parable has no ending. There's no conclusion to the story. He welcomes him back in. And he says, everything I have is yours. The younger son squandered it. The older son says, the younger son, he squandered it on harlots and prostitutes. And you welcome him back home. And the father says, everything I have is yours. And the older son says, but you never gave me a goat. He says, but everything I have is already yours. But we celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead, is alive again. He was lost and found. And that Jesus ends this parable right there. And you think, okay, what happened next? What was the story? What happened next? Did the older son go in? Did he go in and celebrate? Did he get so offended he left? What's the end of the story, Jesus? You're telling us the story, but where is the conclusion? Jesus is saying, there's no distance your heavenly father won't travel to get to you. There's no point that you've sunk so low that he can't reach down and love you. Even when you reject him, even when you walk away, even when you turn against him, he loves you to the point where he would come and find you and bring you back home. Here is the picture of this amazing father. And as I said before, it's labeled the prodigal son, the lost son, but it's not about the sons, it's about the father. It's about who he is and how he deals with those that don't even love him, respect him, and honor him. It's how he loves them. But Jesus leaves this parable unfinished. What does the older brother do? What happens next? Is there a great family reunion? Do they celebrate? Is there a happy ending? Is there a bad ending? It's like watching a show and you don't know what the ending is. It cuts out. You're like, you left us hanging. And Jesus did leave them hanging. The reason is, 
because they identified with someone in the story, all of them identified with someone, he, left, he leaves the story open because they get to write the ending. You as a listener, you get to write the ending, the parable. That's what drew them in. That's what got Jesus, this master storyteller, labor, because that's who he was. The story is open. The ending is open because you get to write the conclusion. His listeners of the day, they wrote their own conclusion. If you want to know what it is, come see me after. I'll tell you. I'm going to leave you hanging. But here's the point. What do you write? What's the conclusion of the story? Does the love of the Heavenly Father get rewarded? Do you go back in the house? Do you celebrate? Are you upset that someone else came in and took your position? Are you mad because you felt someone else should not have been forgiven, that got forgiven? How dare God forgive someone else when you don't know what they did, how they hurt me, how they mistreated me, how they did something to me, and they get to sit there, and they get to be loved, and they get to be forgiven? Are we the older brother? Or are we the younger brother? Which one are you? Because that's the point of the parable. The father is our heavenly father. But the two sons are every single one of you. And I'm not just talking to the men. Which one are you? The younger or the older? The one that stayed in the house, obeyed all the rules, but did not honor his father. Had no relationship. The younger one that strayed and did all the stuff and dishonored his father that way. The point of the parable is that God loves everyone. He loves those that stays and he loves those that go away because he wants to welcome the all in. Ultimately, all of us get to decide who we are in this parable and who we want to be. What kind of man or woman we want to be. And we get to write the ending of this parable. So I'll leave you with two questions. Who is the person you want to become? Who is the person you want to become? How will you take your next steps to make this a reality? No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, it's never too late to make a decision to reflect his image. In your life, in your character, in what you do and how you treat others. You're never too young or never too old to reflect his image because you can impact a generation after you, children in your family, fathers, mothers. You get to display his image. You get the honor and the privilege of reflecting our heavenly father's image because he chose you and called you son and daughter. Who is the person you want to become? Number two, how can you model or teach this to your children or next generation? How can you model our Heavenly Father? 
to your children or the next generation. Again, you don't have to be a father to start. You could be 10 years old or you could be 60 years old. But how do you plan on modeling this for the next generation? What can you teach? What can you show? What can you read? What can you talk about? What can you bring them to that will help them see our Heavenly Father? Because all of us, whether you're a man or a woman, have been called to reflect our Father. And that's what it means to be a Father's Son. To reflect the image of our Heavenly Father. Let's stand. Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.